While they're taking their seat, if you've got your copy of God's Word, let me invite you to uh, turn to the book of Exodus. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 11. Uh, and while they're taking their seat, uh, if you want to put a piece of paper in the book of Matthew and uh, 1 Corinthians as well, we're going to make our way uh, to those three different places. And uh, before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ in whom we have forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you that he became a man. We thank you that he dwelt among us. And we thank you that he died on the cross for our sins. And Father, we thank you that if we'll put his faith in his name, that you will give us all sorts of heavenly blessings. Lord, I pray today as we come to the Lord's table, I pray that we would do so in a worthy manner. And Lord, I pray that you would stir us up by way of remembrance as to why we come to the table and what its purpose is. And so, Lord, I pray that you would feed your people this morning, and I pray that you would use me to do it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, today is going to be, uh, for many of you, a, a bit of a review. We're going to start in the book of Exodus, and we're going to walk through uh, the Old Testament event of the Passover, what it was, why they went about doing it. And then we're going to transition over to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and in the book of Corinthians, uh, and we're going to talk about uh, the Passover's New Testament significance and why we come to the Lord's table. And so uh, let's jump right into the book of Exodus uh, just by way of remembrance, I want you to remember that by the time you get to the book of Exodus, uh, God's people have been in slavery. They've been in slavery for over 400 years. God brings a man named Moses on the scene, and God is going to use Moses to free his people from captivity. And so there's two million people, give or take a couple, that God wants to free from captivity. He marches Moses into Egypt, tells the strongest man in the world, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, Psh, yeah, right, over my dead body. And so you know the story. Uh, God brings about nine different plagues to get Pharaoh and to show the world how great he is. And so over the course of nine plagues, God's hardening Pharaoh's heart, hardening Pharaoh's heart, hardening Pharaoh's heart. And so God brings Moses in close into a huddle and he says, listen, one more plague that I'm going to bring. And then God by Pharaoh is going to let the people go. And so Moses says, good deal. And so you get to the book of uh, Exodus chapter 11, verse 4, and it says this. Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I'm going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such and as such shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog shall not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now, in the all-inclusive society in which we live, this is not popular. But what's going to happen now is that in order for the Egyptians to free uh, the Israelites and to turn them loose, God's going to come through and the firstborn's going to die. You know this is the plague of the firstborn. And so the firstborn of all the cattle, the firstborn of the slaves, the firstborn of even Pharaoh himself is going to die. And this is what it takes. This is the twisting of the arm that it takes from God to Pharaoh to get Pharaoh to let his people go. And the interesting thing is here that part of the reason that God does this is to show a distinction between his people 
and between the Egyptians. And he says that there's going to be a great cry in all of Egypt. And so hopefully you remember that the Israelites didn't really live in Egypt. They lived right next to Egypt. They lived in the country of Egypt. But they didn't live with all of the Egyptians, amongst all of the Egyptians. They lived in a little area off to the side called Goshen. It was a place where farmers could live. It was a place where sheep and cattle and such could graze. And so these two areas are right next to each other. And in Egypt, there's going to be a great cry like never has been heard before. And in the land of Goshen, right next door, not even a dog is going to bark at his own shadow. Right? The neighbor girls aren't going to be running around outside your house and the dogs aren't going to bark at them. And so he's making a strong distinction between the people. And so then he goes on in verse 12 and he talks about the, the meal that he's instituting. It's called the Passover meal. And in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's to be the first month of the year to you. And so what God is doing is he's getting ready to set his Hebrew Israelite people free, and he's giving them a calendar, so to speak. And he says, Listen, when you get out of here, that's the beginning of your year. And so from here on out, this is how the Hebrews are going to are going to tell time on a calendar. This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It will be the first month of the year to you. Verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are to each one take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's household. A lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. And so this is ridiculously practical. If you live alone and you can't eat a whole lamb, just many of you, you're to cook out with your neighbors, right? You go to their house, you take part in theirs. If you have a big family, right? You have a family of 10 or 12 or so of you. Then get a couple of lambs. This is exactly like your grandmother did with a Thanksgiving turkey. Depending on how big the family was, depending on how many extended relatives are coming, that's how much turkey you prepare. Same thing here. Your lamb, verse 5, shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. And so hopefully you see here that on the 10th of the month, you pick out a lamb, you keep it around for a couple of days, and then on the 14th, at the same time, everybody's slaughtering their lamb. And so it's a tailgate across the whole town at the exact same time, right? You kill it at twilight on the 14th. Everybody's doing the same thing. Moreover, this is verse 7, they shall take some of the blood... And put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. And so this is a meal that you're supposed to eat and you're supposed to eat all of it. Maybe this is the originality of Southern hospitality. When you sit down to a meal, all the food needs to be gone, right? You keep eating till mama's satisfied, right? Or she thinks you don't like it. Now, this is verse 11. This is how you're supposed to eat it. So now we know what we're supposed to eat. We know how we're supposed to cook it. Now, how do you prepare yourself to eat it? Verse 11. Now, you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. And so 
hopefully you remember the story of the prodigal son, right? The story of the prodigal son is the son goes off, uh, he lives and he sows his wild oats, and then when he repents and he comes back, the father, wait a minute, I got all tongue-tied, he girds his loins, right? And so what he does is he takes his robe and he pulls it up and he's going to tie it around his waist so that he's not tripping over it. And so you're supposed to eat this meal with your loins girded. That means that you need to be ready to run when God says run. Like, don't eat this in sweatpants and flip-flops, right? You eat this meal in your clothes like you're ready to march right out of town. Because listen to this. You kill the lamb at twilight. You cook the meal over fire, which takes time. And then, verse 12... This is God, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and I'll strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. This blood shall be a sign for you on your houses where you live, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and no plague will befail you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as you celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And so this is going to be a meal that they're going to celebrate perpetually. They're always going to celebrate this meal. And when you eat the meal, you gird your loins, you you get ready like you're going to go on a journey or you're going to walk really quick somewhere. You're going to have your staff in your hand, you're going to have sandals on your feet ready to roll. And the reason is, is because this takes place right before the angel of the Lord comes through and kills all the firstborn. And so you're going to eat this meal and you don't know when the angel of the Lord is coming to execute this judgment. You just know that when he shows up and he executes judgment, your fanny needs to be ready to roll. You with me? And so you eat the meal quickly because you want to make sure you get it down before the Lord says go. And so the Lord's going to do something. You don't know when. You know what He's going to do. You don't know the timing, but He's telling you, before I do that, I want you to do this. And so you eat the meal in a hasty manner. And you're supposed to do this continually. And so the Jews that still celebrate the Passover, this is the same manner in which they're supposed to eat it today. Skip down to verse 19, and He says, Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. That's yeast. Yeast is very often compared to sin. There's a kind of a direct correlation between yeast in the Old Testament and sin in the New Testament. It's used as an illustration. And the Passover meal is often lumped right together with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so this verse 19 has a lot to do with the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasted about a week. And so he said, for seven days, verse 19, there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's an alien or native of the land. And so what I want you to see here is that this Feast of the Passover and this Feast of Unleavened Bread, it isn't something to be taken lightly, right? This is a command of God that you're supposed to do, and if you don't do it the right way, if you don't do it the way that God says to do it, you're cut off from the people. There's no grace here. This is something that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do it God's way at God's time, and if you don't do it His way at His time, you're cut off from the people. So you keep going. In verse 21 of chapter 11, excuse me, of chapter 12, it says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, he's going to relay the plans of God, Go, take for yourselves lambs according to your families, and slay the Passover lamb. 
Verse 22, you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that's in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts and none of you shall go outside of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come in to your houses and smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance forever for you and your children. It will come about... When you enter the land which the Lord will give to you, as he promised, that you shall observe this right. And listen to why they do this. And it will come about when your children will say to you, what does this right mean to you? That you shall say, it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshipped. And so this is the first month, the tenth day. Everybody gets a lamb. An unblemished lamb, one year old. And they take it into their house and it lives among them. Right? They get to know this lamb for the course of four days. If you had a lamb in your house for four days, don't you think that your kids would probably play with it? Don't you think that if you had a year old lamb that your youngest children are going to ride the lamb around the house? Like, don't you think that there'd be some familiarity here? So anyways, that they had dirt floors. They didn't have new nice carpet like many of you guys. And so this is what they do. They, it's normal for them to have animals in the house. And so then on the 14th day of the month, about four days after you get the lamb, you kill the lamb. And you roast it and you eat it quickly. And you take some of the blood. Normally what I've seen them do in Middle Eastern countries, when I was in the Middle East and the, the native people would prepare a meal for us, they would take the animal... They'd calm him down. If you know anything about killing a live animal to eat it, some of you are going to be grossed out by this, but that's okay. This is, this is real life. They get a guy, and he's got a really sharp knife, and he keeps it where the lamb can't see it, and he pets the lamb, right? He calms him down so the animal's not stressed out. And then normally he'll cut the animal's throat, and he'll pour the blood out from the neck into a bowl. That's normally how they kill animals in Middle Eastern countries. Right? There's no guns involved, nothing like that. They just slit the animal's throat, pour its blood out. And so they're going to slit this lamb's throat, and they're going to pour the blood out into a basin. And he's going to take a branch from a, a hyssop branch. I don't know exactly what kind of branch this is, but it's a branch that if you dipped it in blood, you could paint with it. And so he dips this wild branch into a bowl, and then they take blood, and they apply it to the doorpost so that the angel of the Lord passes over. And that's what this meal looks like. Right, And you eat the meal ready to roll like you're running late for church and you're eating breakfast before you leave. Right, That's how this thing looks. And it all has symbology. And you're doing all of this, and you're going to keep doing all of this as long as you live for the purpose of your kids asking you questions. And your kids are going to ask you, hey, mom, dad, why do we do this particular event this way? And some of the things we do as a church, we do so that your kids ask questions. Like this table. All of your kids that don't normally sit in here, they're wondering what's under this sheet. Right? Like all those kids who just left, the only thing they could think of when I was talking is, Hey man, I wonder what's under that sheet. I bet it's something awesome and they're hiding it from us. But the whole purpose we do some of this is to give you an opportunity to explain to your children things about the gospel. So if you keep going through the book of Exodus, you get to Exodus chapter 12, verse 43. And this is after the first Passover. And so the Israelites, by the time you get to the end of chapter 12, they've already celebrated the first Passover. The angel of death came in and killed all of the firstborn. It passed over the houses that had the blood applied to the doorpost. 
And after that, there's a loud cry out of Egypt. And Pharaoh says, fellas, hit the road. I don't want to see you anymore. You get to verse 43. And the Lord is going to give them more commandments about the Passover. The Lord said to Moses, chapter 12, verse 43. This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. How would that do for political correctness right now? All right, guys, we're going to have a meal. No foreigners are welcome to eat it. It's just for us. What do you think? Think that you think that wavy tin on your side would show up? W W I T N? Probably so. But listen to this. No foreigner is to eat of it. But every man's slave purchased with money, after you have circumcised him, then he may eat of it. And so no foreigner who's the way he is is allowed to eat of it. But if someone has come into the group and they've become one of you, then they can partake of it. And the way that you become a child of Israel is that you get circumcised. Verse 45. A sojourner, that's a traveler, or a hired servant shall not eat of it. Verse 46. It's to be eaten in a single house. You're not to bring forth any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are you to break any bone of it. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But, verse 48. If a stranger sojourns with you, and celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. The same law shall apply to the native as to the stranger who sojourns among you. And so there's a proper way, or rather there's a qualification that has to take place in order for you to eat the Passover meal in the Old Testament. And that is, you have to be a child of Israel. If you're an outsider, you can't eat it, but you've got to be one of the people to eat it. Now, you don't have to be blood to eat it, right? You can be from any land, you can be from any ethnicity, but if you want to eat of it, you have to be circumcised and you have to become a child of faith in Israel, all right? This same thing, very similarly, applies to the New Testament when we take communion. Right? The Lord's Supper is a, is a type, exactly like this is a type. And if you want to be one of us, if you want to be in the fold, you don't have to be circumcised anymore, but you have to be a partaker in the same faith we have and baptized. Baptism and circumcision are very, very closely related. Okay, I'm not saying at all that they're the same thing. I'm saying that they're closely related. And so the Lord's table over in the New Testament, you get over to the book of Matthew, chapter 26, and the Lord's table or the Passover in the New Testament is a service that is reserved for people who have put their faith in Christ and repented of their sins and been baptized. I'll give you an example. There were people who came to the Lord's Supper. We had a family Lord's Supper, right, on Christmas Eve, where the leader of the house comes down and they lead their family in the Lord's Supper. And there were several families who came down who had children who had professed faith in Christ, but they had never been baptized. And they asked what they should do. And I said, you should, you should, you should wait until the child gets baptized, then you take of the Lord's Supper. Because we believe as Baptists that baptism is your first act of obedience once you put your faith in Christ. Right? You put your faith in Christ, you've repented of your sins, and then you get baptized because that's what the Lord commands. And so that's your outward symbol of what God's done inside of you. Much like if you were in the Old Covenant and you were a foreigner and you put your faith in the God of, of, of the Old Testament, 
your faith was in him, and your first act of obedience would then be circumcision to prove that you were in the group. And so hopefully you remember from all of our studies that Old Covenant does a lot of external things. In the New Covenant, all of those external things have become internal things. Give me a little head nod just to make sure you're tracking. All right. About a quarter of you are. Good. And so now you get to Matthew chapter 26 in verse 26. And Jesus has gathered together with his disciples. In the beginning of chapter 26, verse 26 says, while they were eating. What were they eating? They're eating the Passover meal together. And so this Passover meal that was started about 1,400 years before Jesus eats it. He says, while they're eating it, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. So if you've ever read through the book of Matthew, you know that, um, excuse me, if you've ever read through some of the gospels, you know that the gospels, the book of John starts out with John the Baptist. Jesus comes on the scene, and John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so as you read through the gospels, you've got... In mind from the beginning of Jesus' ministry that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus is now at the Passover meal. They've killed the Lamb. They've cooked it over fire. They've prepared everything. Jesus stands up at the beginning of it. He breaks bread and he says, this is my body. Take and eat. So Jesus is symbolizing, you know that he's the Passover Lamb. He's at the Passover meal. And he breaks bread, symbolically. And he gives it to the disciples and he says, This bread is my body. Take and eat. And then verse 27 says, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so he tells the people, This cup is my blood of the new covenant for the remission of sins. Take it and drink it. And so there's a couple things that need to take place within the Passover for it to be legitimate. First, you have to have an unblemished lamb, right? You can't have the Passover meal without an unblemished lamb. Second, you have to kill the Passover lamb. Like you can't eat a lamb that's still alive. Like I don't recommend that at all. I think it's a bad idea. So you have to have a Passover lamb. You have to kill the Passover lamb. And then you have to take the blood from the Passover lamb and you have to apply it to the proper place. And so in the Old Covenant... You take the lamb, you pick a good one, you kill the lamb, you pour out its blood, and then you take the blood and you apply it to your doorpost, exactly like God told you to do. Now, we're transitioning over to the new covenant, chapter 26, verse 26. They're eating. Jesus took some bread. He broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, take, eat, this is my body. And so you have Jesus, who is the perfect Passover lamb. The book of Corinthians, you don't have to turn there. I'm only going to read it for a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Oh, I got, I, I got ahead of myself. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians that says, Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Okay? It specifically says that. I've got, I was going to a different place in 1 Corinthians uh, when we finish. And so Jesus is the Passover lamb, right? You need a lamb. Jesus takes his body, his, his, uh, the bread, says this is symbolic of my body, and he breaks it. So you've got a lamb, 
And you've got a lamb that's being killed. You have a lamb that's being broken. And then, in verse 27, he has a cup, and he gives thanks. And he says, drink from it, all of you, verse 28. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so now you have the aspect of the Passover, in which Jesus' blood is being applied, and the purpose of Jesus' blood is to forgive you of your sins. And we walked through this a couple weeks ago in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew... We're talking about this particular aspect of the Lord's Supper, and I never understood why we drink Jesus' blood, right? Remember why talked, we talked about that? Give me a little head nod. I'm cooking up here. It might be warm down there, too. You guys are fading on me. So, in the Old Covenant, when God makes a covenant with Moses, Moses kills an animal, and he dips the branch in the blood, and he takes it, and he splashes it on all the people. And you, you're reading and you're like, wow, that's really weird. Like I would hope that I was in the back of that group so that the blood from the animal isn't getting on me. But in the old covenant, they cleanse things symbolically with blood. And so he takes and he applies the blood externally to all the people. Fast forward a couple thousand years into the new covenant. Jesus takes his blood. His blood's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And you drink it and you're internalizing it. It's forgiving you of your sins. In the old covenant, you were never forgiven of your sins. Your sins were passed over from year to year. In the new covenant, Christ dies and your sins are forgiven. And the whole covenant is internalized. That's why when you get to the book of Jeremiah, you read that uh, God says, I'm going to take their heart of stone and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. I'm going to change them on the inside. He says in other places, he says that... uh, key aspect of the new covenant is that I'm going to write my law on their hearts. Like they're going to internally know about me. And so this whole thing in the, this whole Lord's Supper in the new covenant is all internalized through the Lord's Supper. And so now we know where this thing came from. We know it's New Testament application. And so let's go over to first Corinthians now for real and talk about some of the things that we should consider before we come to the Lord's table. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is verse 26. And this is the last section that we'll turn to before we come to the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 26 says this. For as often as you drink this as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So part of this Lord's supper ordinance that we have is to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a memorial service. It's a remembrance. Jesus will say, do this in remembrance of me. And so when we take the bread, we take the juice, we're remembering the Lord's death and we're proclaiming it. Verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So there's a proper way to do it. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and in number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we need to reflect on our lives and we need to make sure that we come to the Lord's table in a worthy manner. And so in verse 28, it says, you must examine yourself and in so doing, then you eat the bread and drink the cup. And so 
How do you go about examining yourself? What are you examining yourself for? If you were to go to the doctor, they'd tell you there's all sorts of different examinations. What is the one that you do before you come to the table? You're going to reflect. And you're going to examine yourself, spiritually speaking. You're going to be looking into your life, all of the dark corners of your life, and you're going to be looking to see if you have any unconfessed sin in your life. That's what you're looking for. The way that you partake of the Lord's Supper properly is you take a time of introspection, you look for any unconfessed sin, and you repent of that sin. Nobody comes to the Lord's table perfect. Nobody, none of us, should be able to walk through the back doors, come straight to the Lord's table, take it, and leave. Because all of us have some sort of sin in our lives. From the newest Christian to the oldest, most mature Christian. We all do. But from the newest Christian to the oldest, most mature Christian, we are all equally saved by the grace of God. And so the Lord will forgive you for anything that you've ever done wrong. And so if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you come to the Lord's table, you can ask for forgiveness from anything. Anything. And that's how you properly eat the Lord's Supper. You come to the Lord, you lay down your sin, you ask the Lord for forgiveness, and then you partake of the Lord's Supper. And so, I want you to see that when you were in the Old Covenant, right? And you're taking of the first Passover. And the whole reason you take of the Passover, the whole reason that you do this whole ceremony, is because the angel of death is coming. Right? How would you like that? How would you like to live in a town? How would you like Alan to send out an email to the whole town tomorrow? And say, hey listen, I just heard from the county that the angel of death is coming to Windsor. Would you be like, awesome, that'd be great. I wonder why it took the chamber so long to organize this event. And he says, and he's going to kill the firstborn in every house. It's going to happen. You would be like, this is not good. This is not good at all. And he says, but wait, I've I've got a, a, a solution for this problem. I want you all to kill a lamb and I want you to take the blood from the lamb and I want you to apply it to your doorpost. And when this angel of death comes to Windsor, when he sees the blood on your doorpost, he'll pass over your house. You would go, I don't know about that, but that's my only chance because the angel of death is coming, right? And this particular memo is coming straight from God, not from Alan, right? You with me? And so if you're the leader of your household, you get a lamb... And you pour his blood into a bowl. And how much of his blood do you paint on your doorpost? Because the only way the angel of death is going to pass over your house is if he sees the blood. I'm going to tell you that I don't need a brush at this point. I need a paint sprayer. Like a commercial paint sprayer. And I'm going to paint the whole doorpost. And that angel, if he was blind, he'd be able to see the blood on my doorpost. And if he couldn't see the blood on my doorpost, he'd be able to smell the door on blood on my doorpost, right? Like, I'm going to make it painfully obvious to this angel that we have done what the Lord has told us, go away, right? I want you to know also that the angel of death isn't coming, but death is coming your way. Like, each of you in this room will die one day if the Lord tarries his coming. I'll die one day. All of your children will die one day. Like, I know that's a little morbid to think about, but it's coming. And the only way to stand before God and be in good shape is to have the blood of Christ applied to your life. If the angel of death was coming into town, we would paint the whole doorpost, paint the whole thing, 
Let's paint all the posts on the front of the house too. Let's get the job done. We're painting everything. Use all the lamb's blood everywhere on the front of the house. Because we don't want the angel of death to come. But why is it sometimes that when we know we're going to die and we're going to stand before Christ, when it comes time to apply the blood of Christ to our lives, we want to paint with a little kid's brush instead. And we only want to apply the blood to this spot or to that spot. And we make all sorts of excuses why we shouldn't paint everything in our life. But if the angel of death was coming to your house, you'd paint the whole house. Brothers and sisters, God's house is you. And you're supposed to have applied the blood of Christ to every aspect of your life. In the Old Covenant, if you didn't partake in the Passover, cut off from Israel. There's no, no, I was busy. There's no anything else. If you didn't do it, regardless of the excuse, cut off. And I want to just say, as your pastor and as your friend... If there's an area of your life that you're keeping back from Christ, you haven't applied the blood of Christ to your whole life. You may have lied to yourself and only applied it to a certain area. And if you want to partake of the Lord's Supper in the right way, you have to apply His blood to every aspect of your life. You don't get to hold anything back. You paint everything. And so that's how you come to the Lord's Supper in the proper way. And then the Bible says that for this reason, many people haven't done that. And they're sick and they've died. And the Bible says that one of the benefits of us doing this in the proper way is that he disciplines us so that we don't have to suffer judgment. And I would much rather suffer a little discipline from the Lord than to suffer from the Lord's judgment. Amen? And so I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to come to the Lord's table. And if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, I would love for the day, today, to be the day that you put your faith in Christ. That you believe in His death, burial, and resurrection. And He sets you free from all of your sin. And you get an eternity in heaven. And so, uh, if that's something you would like to do, um, I would love for you to let the plate pass you by. And then after our service is over, I would love to share more with you about Christ. And then once you've been saved and put your faith in Christ, uh, we'll share the Lord's Supper together, separate from everybody, so you can still take part. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your Son, and we thank you for his body, which was broken for us. Lord, we thank you that through his body being broken and his blood being poured out, we have forgiveness of sins. Lord, I pray for each of us here that we would be your people who have applied your blood to every aspect of our life. Lord, I pray that our lives wouldn't have any secret hidden compartments, but I pray that we would lay everything out in front of you and gain your forgiveness from all of it. And Lord, I pray that you would set us free from any uh, sin or clutches of evil we may have in our life. Lord, I pray that we would never take your grace for granted, but that each day... It would be new and new and new every single day. And we would never grow tired of it. Father, I thank you for being a God who has very strong standards but doesn't exclude anyone. But instead, you've shown us what it takes to be called one of yours. And so, Father, I pray that no one would leave here without being one of yours. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I'm going to read a scripture from Matthew chapter 26. And then after I read the scripture, uh, we'll pray for the bread and then we'll take it together. This is while they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, your son, was the Passover lamb. Father, we thank you that through this ordinance, he showed us that his body was broken just as the Passover lamb had to be. Father, we thank you for your provision of this lamb because without you providing it, we would never be able to have forgiveness of sins. And so we thank you for that perfect, unblemished lamb that you provided. And Lord, we thank you for not keeping it to yourself, but we thank you for breaking it for our benefit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take and eat. We'll do the same thing again. I'll read a passage from Matthew, and then we'll have a prayer for the cup, and then we'll take it together. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, it says, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So, brothers and sisters, I pray today that you have put your faith in Christ, and I pray that this uh, cup of juice, symbolic of Christ's blood, has been applied to every aspect of your life. And I want you to just be encouraged that Christ made you and Christ knows you. Whatever it is that you may be going through, whatever it is that you may think is too much, this cup, symbolic of his blood, is sufficient for the sins of the world. And your sins, whatever they may be, are no different than anyone else's sins. And so as we take this cup together, I pray that it would be effective for you in your life. And if Christ has forgiven you, I pray that you would forgive you also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you not just that you were the perfect Passover lamb, but we thank you that your body was broken. And Lord, we thank you that your blood was poured out so that we could have forgiveness of sins. Lord, how incredible it is to think that you would give your only son to die for sinful man. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not do an injustice to you, but that we would repent of our sins, that we would gladly lay them down and apply this blood to every aspect of our life. So, Father, we thank you for the victory that we have in Christ through this blood. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take and drink. If you would stand with us, Jonathan is going to lead us in our song of invitation. Well, I want to thank you all for coming today. Again, if there's uh, any of you uh, who have yet to put your faith in Christ, I would love to for you to stick around afterwards and uh, be able to share more with you about our great Savior. And so instead of going to the back and greeting everyone, I'll just I'll stay down here this morning. And if uh, you let the cup pass in order to get saved and then enjoy the cup, uh, we'll share it together afterwards. And so uh, don't forget about all the announcements that are coming up. Don't forget if you're able-bodied, we need you on Wednesday to move our youth pastor in. And uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Tarkington if you would close out our service with a word of prayer.